Welcome to episode 324 of Canada's Pinball Podcast, the only pinball podcast mentioned in a lawsuit paper by Andrew Highway. So ladies and gentlemen, here's what I want to talk about on this episode. We'll do a little bit of the news, we'll do a little bit of your emails, and then I also want to focus on one thing. I want to do a little bit of a marketing analysis of what you would do if you were a new pinball company and you were trying to build a successful pinball company from the ground up uh, in 2019 going into 2020. And I'm going to explain why I want to have this conversation with all of you out there because I think it's an interesting thing to think about and to discuss as we move towards the Texas Pinball Festival 2019. All right. Is that fair? Is that going to sound like a good episode? I think you'll enjoy it. So here's here's where we're going to start. There is new Munsters code available as of yesterday. It is 0.96 of the Munsters code update. And there is there's some, you know, decent amount of changes in the code. I'm not going to list out everything that is happening in the code update. Uh, but here's the main thing I've been reading people say. And as we get closer to 1.0, there is more and more of a feeling that the door is beginning to close on what this game could potentially be that people are starting to admit that maybe, just maybe, this is what the game will be. And we've seen 96% of what the game's vision is. So will will we see drastic changes uh, as we get to 1.0, which is pretty much the finish line when it comes to Stern games? Now, yes, some of them continue to be polished. Uh, but we're looking at Munsters becoming nearly finished, uh, probably sometime in 2019. And I think the takeaway I'm getting from people is this, that this game is, if you're a Munsters fan, it's fun to shoot. But overall, the objective in the game is to get to jackpots and collect the jackpots, right? And to use the zap button to delay collecting the, the jackpots to build them up, okay? So I think what people are starting to realize is they're not going to see in the Munsters pinball game, they're not going to see the amount of clips and scenes from the show and storylines from the show. They are not going to see that stuff come to life the way they saw it come to life on Batman 66. And for fans of the show, and I've seen people write this, you know, they, they connect with a lot of... Uh, iconic episodes of the Munsters and there's a lot of scenes from the show that they would love to see brought to life in the pinball machine and I think it's starting to dawn on people that that is probably not going to happen ever okay and there's a reason why it took Lyman Sheets two years to get Batman 66 to the point where he considers it pretty much done. Uh, but I think Batman fans are walking away satisfied, finally, after all those years, uh, that the game itself brings to life a lot of the iconic scenes from the TV show. And I don't think people are going to get that in the Munsters. Uh, and here's why. I, I think that when Lyman codes a game, he codes it to tell a story. Uh, he, he codes it in a way where you're going on a journey, and if you get through the journey, and you get through the modes, and you get through the storyline of the game, uh, you will have a high score uh, when you get to the end of that road. I think Dwight, he codes his games differently. I, I think Dwight makes his games all about a journey to a score, not a journey to a story. And, and I think there's a big difference in that. And I don't think people have the same sense of satisfaction 
uh, when they play a Dwight game as they do a Lyman game. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that scoring and how to get to the score and the multiplier strategy and canceling the jackpots and just collecting the jackpot is ultimately, I don't think, as rewarding for people as it is in Batman where it's more about jailing the villains and the minor villains and understanding their modes and how their modes connect to each other. I think that is just a far more rewarding experience than if it was all about jackpot collection. And I have to say, like in Batman, I don't even really know uh, how to get to like the super jackpots and what the super jackpot shots are all the time, but it doesn't matter. I end up hitting them because I'm playing through the game and progressing through the story and the modes in the game. So what does that mean for Munster's owners? I don't know. I don't know what it means. A lot of you bought the game without fully understanding what the code would be, and now you have probably what the game will end up being. So if you enjoy it now, I think you will enjoy Munsters for a long time. If you were looking for a lot more from the Munsters, I think you're going to be disappointed and will ultimately end up probably moving on to a different pin sometime soon. All right, so that's what's happening in Sternland. There is still no Star Wars topper. And this thing has become probably the laughing joke of the entire pinball accessory industry. Uh, they Remember they put that they were waiting final approval on one of the Stern of the Union addresses, but then it even fell off the last few. We haven't heard anything about where the Star Wars topper is. I don't know what to tell you. I really don't know what to tell you. It doesn't even look good. I can't believe it's been so long to get it. Now, speaking of toppers, someone found in the new Munsters code that there is going to be a, a raven and a clock uh, topper that is going to interact with the game, which is cool. I don't understand one thing, though, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Stern knows when these games are going to release. Why don't they make the toppers available with the games on release? Why, why is there always a delay now between the topper and the game? Can't they get those two manufacturing processes lined up so that when you open your box on your LE and your premium, that the topper that goes with it, that goes with the gameplay, comes with the machine? I, I, I don't understand. I, I really don't understand. They used to be much better about shipping the game with the topper. And look, it's not too hard to engineer a topper. I, I still, I, I wish they would just give you everything at once so you don't have to go back and buy more. But maybe that is the strategy over at Stern. All right, what else is going on in pinball? Deep root. So here's the thing. There is going to be no deep root at TPF. This is not news to you, but I do have some deep root news that many of you do not know about that I want to share right now. And that is that we will not see any time in 2019 Magic Girl or Alice in Wonderland. I have confirmation about this from someone who is very high up the food chain at Deep Root. He goes by the name of Robert Mueller. Uh, and he said to me that they are planning something very, very special for both of those titles, and they want to make sure uh, they have the time to create the kind of magic they want in that game. Now, I added some of that stuff at the end. He didn't say all of that, but he basically said, we have really big plans for both titles, and we're, they're going to not come out this year. Okay, so he did not say that Raza would not come out this year. So I fully expect that Raza will be the game 
that will come out uh, in 2019 from Deep Root, and that will most likely be the game that Robert uh, probably offers up to the Zidware customers as part of the deal that we all know about. So I would expect to see Raza sometime uh, by that date. I believe it was in June in which DeepRoot needs to make an option available to Zidware customers. And it makes sense when you think about it that Raza would be that game because the majority of people who got burned by John Papaduke, they were in on Raza, not Magic Girl and not Alice in Wonderland. And also, if you remember, nobody is really owed a Magic Girl. Everyone who bought a Magic Girl got a Magic Girl from American Pinball. So that sort of takes the need to satiate those owners. Uh, So I think Robert is probably doing the smart thing and making Raza the first game. And, you know, Alice in Wonderland, which I think is the most beautiful pinball machine ever, if you look at the artwork on that game, if he can make that game sing, I think we're on for something special. Now, the other thing I heard about Deep Root is it seems that they're approaching pinball differently. And I keep hearing sort of like a common sentiment over there. And it goes something like this. If we just wanted to make games like Stern and Jersey Jack and Spooky, like we could do that immediately. But we don't want to do that. We want to give you something more than that. And we're also looking at how pinball machines are manufactured and how they're made. And we're tackling it from the inside out. Right? We're not just looking at it from the outside saying, how can we just you know, create parity with these other manufacturers? We're going over the entire process in which pinball is made and applying innovation to it. And, and they're saying stuff like they can make a game a month. If they wanted to, they could pump out games that fast. Now, I know that sounds like very bold, disruptive talk. But here's the thing. If you do look at the pinball industry and you look at the players in it, there really has not been much innovation in terms of the manufacturing process that takes place with these companies. You've got an assembly line that moves with people with soldering irons, soldering wires to switches in a game. I mean, it is very archaic. This is still the same way these games were made 30 years ago, and there hasn't been a lot of innovation in that sense. And so uh, should a game be made that way? And is Deep Root figuring out a whole new quad manufacturing process to get the games out? Uh, We'll see. We'll see. But, uh, you know, 2019 begs to see something from them. And I can't wait to see what they deliver. And I'm glad that they've kept it secret and close to the vest. I think that is the way to do it. All right. What else is going on in pinball? So Magic Girl. I did the Magic Girl Proto uh, story where I told you there was one for sale that was 000, and I did end up getting an email that sort of clarified a little bit more about that machine. I want to let me read it to you because I got two emails regarding this game, and I just think it's interesting to see what people are saying. Magic Girl 00. All right. This isn't for being read word for word on the air. All right. I'm not going to read it word for word on the air. But apparently Magic Girl 00, it came from Sunshine Laundromat. So Peter had the game over there. So here's the deal. Okay, that is where the that is where Joe from Pin Graphics got the game from Peter at Sunshine. Now, I'm not surprised to hear that. Peter buys like almost every new game. And it is kind of incredible that he puts the rarest games out on location. Now, I'm not surprised that Magic Girl never ended up out of box and on the floor at Sunshine. And here's why, a few reasons. There's nothing in the code that would have allowed Peter to set the game at $1 or $2 per play. The way the game was set up is it just registered one 
coin for one credit. So each quarter would be a credit. Okay, so that's a big problem. Secondarily, the game doesn't really work, so you've got that. Third, the game is prone to you know breaking down. And how do you explain to people who walk up to a magic girl at a place like Sunshine where they put their money in and then the game is just like a codeless mess? Uh, so I think it would just been a very unrewarding experience for all those involved. So that is where that game is coming from. All right, the other thing that I got an update on was when I announced about Tim Fife and the legal papers with Predator, I wasn't really sure what was happening. And so thankfully, Tim actually responded on my podcast post, and he wrote the following. He said, in regards to the legal filing noted in the podcast, it was simply a formality filing. What happened was the judge in the bankruptcy case ruled in my favor and granted me sanctions against Keith, the lawyer representing the victims. Keith appealed that decision to a higher court. During the appeal process, the bankruptcy case was subsequently closed. The higher court denied Keith's appeal and again ruled in my favor. The bankruptcy case had to now be reopened for the judge to make a final ruling as to the dollar amount. Side note, two things came to light during Keith's appeal. One, what Keith had stated and based his original case against me on per Kevin's testimony was not accurate at all and therefore my lawyer is now arguing for full reimbursement of all my legal fees and at a non-discounted rate. Second, Keith actually appears to have violated my attorney-client privilege. After giving my testimony at Keith's office with my lawyer, my lawyer accidentally left my case file at the office there. During one of Keith's later legal filings, he actually referenced a 5% legal fee discount in my agreement with my lawyer. If I pay fees immediately, I was entitled to a 5% discount. It appears Keith actually looked in my file that was left at his office and read my agreement with my lawyer, which was marked confidential. My lawyer is filing a new request to show cause to Keith, and hopefully the court addresses this soon. We'll see. All right. Wow. Wow. Nothing like pinball ending up in a, in a legal dramatic battle like that. Uh, man, kind of curious, man. But maybe your lawyer shouldn't leave your shit behind at the other guy's office. Was that strategic? It sounds like it. I mean, I'd have a hard time not opening up any folder that said confidential on it. All right. But let's move on. Everyone who had a predator is not going to get one. Let's let Tim be. He got rid of his game. His tale of the predator saga is over. Uh, Let's see. What else is going on in the pinball world? Jersey Jack pinball. Jersey Jack Pinball. This is the one that I've heard a lot about from people. And I'm here to tell you that we are making a pact with you, the listener of the show. I am no longer going to dedicate so much time to Pirates of the Caribbean. We've we've exhausted it. I've let everyone who's in on that game, who likes that game, I've let them say their piece. But I'm done. I'm done. I think we agree to disagree on how great this game is. And that's okay. But I'm no longer going to dedicate so much airtime to this game, all right? I think I've been fair enough on it. Now, when it comes to TPF, I still read in the Willy Wonka thread, people hoping to see Willy Wonka there. It's not happening. You're not getting it at TPF. You will get Yellow Brick Road, and that's that. Move on from that, all right? Okay, so American Pinball, and they're the focus of this podcast. I want to talk about American Pinball, and I want to look at them a little bit differently. I want to look at them through the lens 
of a marketing strategy. And the reason why I say this, and the reason why I think this will be a fun discussion, is if if you, the listener, if you, the listener, was going to start a pinball company in 2018, 2019, and I told you, I you have the financial money to do it, you have the you know the manufacturing capabilities to do it, you have enough resources at your disposal to enter the pinball market. I want you all to sort of forget all the pinball companies you know. Imagine if you were at the helm of American Pinball from day one. All right, this is before J-Pop gets signed up. This is before anything happens that we know about. I want all of us to imagine ourselves in that role, and you are at the helm of a new pinball company. Okay, and the reason why I want us all to do this is I want to talk about uh, the, the creating success in this industry and what it takes and what work you have to do and what questions you have to ask yourself about how to become a successful pinball company. And we know that there are some companies that have been successful. The majority of them, though, have failed, have failed to be successful, have failed to turn a profit. Okay. And so if I told you you're starting a company, you're going to have to do some homework and you're going to have to do some research and you're going to have to ask some questions about how you don't fall victim and fall into the same traps that everyone else who came before you fell into, okay? And I don't think it's tremendously hard. I have to be honest. I don't think it's tremendously hard to do one thing, to do the market research required to put your company on a path to success because doing that research luckily for a lot of people out there who are getting into pinball the the information and the data and the analysis needed to understand what people want a lot of that is free and the access to it is free and access to the community and focus groups are free to understand you know what it takes to make an ex- a successful pinball company so if we're to fast forward to today and where american pinball is at they've released Houdini to mediocre sales, wasn't a sales juggernaut. They have Oktoberfest, which they revealed at Expo of 2018. Uh, uh, TPF is going to be this company's moment. They must know it. This game lives or dies by its reception at TPF. If people enjoy it and say it's fun, its ability to live on will continue. Okay, and so, th- and and there's nothing else to say about that, right? But I'm here to say that I, you know, I think that all of these companies, these new companies like American Pinball, when I look at them, I can't help but look at them and say, well, how did it come to this, right? How did your company make so many decisions that led you to a point where you're not selling games immediately after you reveal them, that you don't have the kind of demand and people banging down your door to get your product uh, all the time? And pinball, as we know, is a product and is a toy. If you do it right and you give people what they are craving, the frenzy to get the games is tremendous. And we see it all the time in this hobby. And so that is why I want to do this little bit of a marketing analysis of a company like this. Because, you know, if you're going to start a pinball company, I think the number one goal needs to be, you know, how do we create a game? where the demand far you know, exceeds our ability to even make them? And how do we create a product 
that you know becomes sought after and holds its value nicely. So here's the thing. So here's how we would normally approach it. And I wanna tell you where a lot of these questions came from and this approach came from. So I just spent the last couple weeks uh, with people from Can Lion. And if you don't know what Can Lion is, it is uh, the award show in Cannes, France. And the Lions are the celebration of the best marketing work in the world. And they aggregate campaigns from all over the world on a global level. And they pick the campaigns that are most successful in, in creating a marketing program in which there is a great insight, in which the creative is phenomenal, uh, in which a company's business results were, were driven by the great marketing that was put out in the world. You know, and I have to be honest, like a lot of it can sometimes just look like art. A lot of it can be like hoity-toity, like marketing, like sipping rosé in France. But I'll say this. In, in my years working in marketing, I was really impressed by the people over there who came over, these two amazing women, and they talked to us about if you're trying to become a successful business and you need to turn on the right kind of marketing to gain market share, there is a way to approach it. Uh, and so one of the things that they talked about was what are the barriers in which your company will encounter as it enters the marketplace. So as, as a new pinball manufacturer, right? So if all of you will get back into that mindset, what are the barriers that you need to overcome if you wanna be successful in the pinball market, all right? Now I took a stab at what I think some of the barriers would be. Again, this would be me if I was in AP's office on day one. So barrier number one is there is market saturation, that there's a lot of products out there, right? So there might be more supply than demand right now for pinball machines. So that might be a barrier. I need to know that there is enough of a, of a demand and enough new buyers available uh, to my company for me to enter the marketplace. The other thing that I would look at in terms of a barrier is that I would know that people want themed pinball machines that themes are the things that people crave. If I looked at what the greatest selling games were recently, they were all themed titles. And so a barrier to entry for a new company like American Pinball would be the high cost for themes that people want, right? So I would I would know that you know it's expensive to lock in a theme that has a high demand. The other barrier is that they're probably uh, getting access to those themes would be a barrier for me because a lot of the themes are locked up by Stern Pinball. So that is another barrier to overcome. Uh, and then we have, you know, a, a barrier is this, that people are demanding innovation from Pinball Machine, but they don't wanna pay a ton for it. So there is a, if you're a new company, you know, you need to differentiate and make your game better than what's available, but at what cost? Like what will be the price point in which people will, won't pay for my innovation? Uh, and finally, and I think this might be one of the biggest barriers to the entire industry, is there is only a finite amount of talent that is available out there on day one of your company that knows how to make a pinball game, okay? And so how do you do it, right? How do you know you're hiring the best designer? How do you know you have a great coder? How do you know you have a great artist? And if we look at American Pinball, I think, you know, they went with Joe and, and Josh and you know, they're, they're, that's who they put on the court. And so if I were starting a pinball company, I think it would be difficult. It would be difficult to understand, well, who's going to design my game? And how do I know who to hire? 
Uh, and that seems to be a common theme in this industry where nobody's going to get like new young designers. Like who's designing the pinball tables over at Zen Pinball? It seems to be the same older designers from yesteryears that everyone taps into. Okay, so those are the barriers. So you have to overcome those barriers, right? The next questions I would ask is what do we know about the pinball market, right? I'm sitting in American Pinball's office. What do I know about the market? So I do know this, that collectors will pay more for rarity, right? And the LE model, the perception of the LE model within pinball has proven to be very successful in pinball. If I just stepped back and said, look, you know, Stern is selling out of these LEs when they get the theme right. Spooky Pinball survived when they limited the number of games they were making. So the limited number is a really important driver of demand because it, it, it creates a sense of scarcity and fear of missing out. So that is something, if I was a new pinball company, that I would embrace and try to figure out. And I think if you look at American Pinball, and you look at their approach to pinball, they have acted in a way that is somewhat ignorant and of this concept that we're just gonna make one game, we're gonna make it in an unlimited amount, and what that creates is absolutely no desire to have to own the game now. There is absolutely no rush to buy the game. And as you're gonna see in some of the other insights I have within this market, uh, creating that kind of scenario is a huge mistake. So the other thing that I think we could say is that the three-tiered model has proven to be most successful, but if you don't want to make three versions of the game, limiting your game is the other way to go, right? We've never seen much success in, in unlimited amounts of game. Like that's just, that just hasn't worked for anyone in the new world of pinball uh, manufacturing, okay? So here's the other thing. The other thing I would say is that theme is more important than innovation. And this is something that is absolutely true. You might not want it to be true, but it is true. And we have to look no further than a game like Dialed In. I think Dialed In represents 100% the realities of how pinball buyers will behave when the innovation is there, but the theme is lacking. And we saw that Dialed In never really captured the imagination of the pinball buying public. It had everything that people had been asking for, or, or so-called Jack thought they were asking for, right? We kept hearing people wanted original titles. We kept hearing people you know, wanted a, a new Pat Lawler game. People wanted innovation. People wanted toys, play field mechanisms, all this magic, magnets, you know, holograms, everything, drones. Jack put everything that he thought people wanted into the game, but he learned the ultimate hard lesson in life is even though people, you know, and these are mostly the diehard pinball collectors, even though they say they want uh, an original IP, the majority of pinball buyers and new pinball buyers especially, so whether you're an old hardcore pinball enthusiast or new to the market, theme is the most important thing and getting the theme right is is crucial right is absolutely crucial all right so what else do we know is crucial as well when it comes to the pinball market so here's another thing that is an observation everyone should be aware of by now and that is the reveal to ship date is critical when it comes to pinball sales if you botch your launch and your reveal we time and time again it is shown that uh, that will be devastating to sales 
The next thing is we know that people will buy before playing, which makes the aesthetics and the visual appeal of a pinball machine greater than ever before. So you need to make sure that your game is just sexy, even before people flip it, all right? We also know that a game relevance, it fades within a year, all right? You need to capture as many sales as you can within that first six months to a year. After that, there will be a lot of new titles out and interest in older titles does fade significantly. So you really need to get as many people through the door immediately as you can, all right? And the last point I'll say about the pinball market that every company, especially new companies, need to be aware of. If your game loses value on the secondhand market quickly, future sales will suffer significantly. And that by that I mean, if your game is new and before people are even uh, in on one, they're seeing people sell it used for much less than the new price, that really is going to damage people going in on your game because they're going to be hesitant that the game is not great, that the game loses value quickly, and this entire market has been spoiled a little bit by losing very little money over a lot of years, but that's going to change with a lot more games in the marketplace as more and more people need to free up room. All right, so then, you know, something that every company has to do is this. What is the job to be won? And I was doing this for major brands like Stella Artois and for Spike Seltzer, Bon & Viv, Spike Seltzer. Uh, we did it for Budweiser. We did it for Bud Light. Uh, so the job to be won, and there could be many jobs to be won. So for example, let me give a company like Oreo Cookies. Oreo Cookies might have a job to be won, which is to get people who used to love Oreo Cookies but no longer eat them to try them again. So that could be a job to be won. Uh, we might have a brand where most people who buy the beverage are women, so a job to be won might be let's get men, more men, to buy spiked seltzer. So that could be a job to be won, all right? So in the pinball market, what is the job to be won? And you can, you might only have one. And I think if I were a brand new pinball company, I would have one job to be won. It would not be to expand pinball and try to get new people into the hobby that are not into pinball. The job to be won, I think for all these companies is very simple. And that is we need to steal consumers away from Stern. That is the job to be won. We need to make a better game than Stern Pinball. And so if we look at which companies have successfully um, you know, achieved that goal, it hasn't been many. It hasn't been many. I don't really think Stern has suffered much over the last seven years as all these new boutique companies have come into the market. They just haven't. And the reason why is while some companies have beat Stern in certain areas, nobody, and I mean nobody, has given people all of what they wanted and, and 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 nailed it on every cylinder. They just haven't. You know, Jersey Jack games might be deeper, but I would I would argue that Stern's artwork is much nicer. Jersey Jack might have a bigger display, but that doesn't mean it's a better display. And I think there's a lot of confusion on the Jersey Jack display that they're still trying to figure out. Uh, Stern games might be cheaper. Uh, but they also break down less than Jersey Jack games. You know what I'm saying? So there's been, you know, you win here, but you lose there. And ultimately, nobody has made a game that has made everyone universally say, yep, that's just better and more fun and sexier and more reliable and just where pinball needs to be. Uh, and that is, that, that is leagues above everything that Stern is putting into a game. So, so how do you do that? How do you steal market share away from Stern? 
So this is the first thing. And this is where I think a lot of these boutique companies are falling down. The, the first thing on my list of how do we accomplish our job to be done is we need a theme that people want. Theme is everything. We need to give people a game that they would want to buy without even seeing it because the theme is so exciting to them. All right. Now, until we lock in a big theme, I would not even get started on making my pinball game. I, I, I think it's absolutely silly that these companies, and this is where, I, again, my assessment of a company like American Pinball, what is the point of making Houdini and Oktoberfest and spending all the money on those two themes and all the hours and all the development costs and all the material creation costs and all the talent that you're hiring and manufacturing that you're creating, all of that is being applied to manufacture two themes that people don't really want. If they had taken all that money, all that time, and applied a little bit more market research to it, they would have been much better off biting the bullet and acquiring a theme that people really wanted and make a game based on that theme, even if it costs them more, just to create a product that would land with a real impact. Because your first game, out of the gate, it needs to be amazing. This whole notion of like you'll incrementally just keep getting better, not the case. That has not worked in any other industry. You can't be a disruptor. You can't change market share. You can't steal customers away if what you deliver isn't superior than what's already available and in, available in, in with more frequency and 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 more, you know, cadence than than what you want to deliver, right? So I just think that to me is where a lot of these companies are falling down. Is if Davil and Normal, if they have money and they have millions of dollars to pump into a pinball venture which they clearly have and we know they're you know they they come from a their dad is very successful uh, it's google you can search it i think they made like 20 plus million dollars in revenue last year maybe even more so clearly whoever's funding this company it's internally funded they have a lot of money but they made a lot of decisions that completely were ignorant to market research all right Okay, because what you don't want is where they're at now. You don't want to end up where people have to get over the theme to enjoy the game. You never want to be there. I mean, it's the same problem as really plaguing Pirates of the Caribbean. When people don't love the theme and then you have to like fall in love with the pinball despite the theme, that is a recipe for sales disaster, all right? The other thing is this. As a new company, you need to hire the talent capable of making a game that looks and plays and shoots and sounds as good as if not better than Stern. So if Stern's artists in their arsenal right now are Zombie Yeti and Christopher Franchi, you need an artist that is as good as good as them or better. You can't create a game that doesn't look as good as a Stern game. And I think it's hard to stand over Oktoberfest and stand over Houdini and say that that art package is superior. And I know that American Pinball was talking to Brian Allen, who did the awesome hand-drawn alien artwork, and they never went forward with him. And so right off the bat, 
my game, your game, if we, again, if we're creating a company, I would go get an artist that was as good as, if not better than what Stern has in their arsenal. And I think the inability to make these games sexier is so sad to me because there are so many talented artists out there that are easily available. I mean, every single tattoo artist out there in like major cities is just as good as these guys. And and all the comic book artists that are available that you could freelance. Like go on DeviantArt and like look at all the all the incredible artists that are out there. And artists are not that expensive. We we've sort of glorified the few artists in this industry as being like all you can do. Like all you can go after is Yeti and Franchi. I'm sorry, but there are so many talented artists. And no one is is hiring them. And when I look at Oktoberfest, I just don't see a caliber of art that is that great, right? Okay. And, you know, also then, you know, you're looking at your talent in terms of designers and coders. And, and you know, again, we keep hearing people making excuses for what's on the screen and the animations on the screen. And I do agree with Ben Heck. If you can't make the animations uh, better or interesting, then maybe don't do animations. Maybe just think about how you could put other stuff on that screen that would work well. Okay. All right. And then ultimately you need to create demand for your product and scarcity and limited edition nature has proven to work. Avoiding that does show the, the absolute ignorance to the market. So I want a game. I want to make 500 of a game and I want there to be a thousand people that want it. Or I want to make a thousand versions of a game and I want 2,000 people to want it. I need to know what it takes to get there. And if you look at Houdini and Oktoberfest, uh, first of all, there's no there's no uh, awareness of how many they're going to make. So I don't need to buy one today. I can just wait. And that's a big problem for them. And also, I, I don't think they did any market research on any of those themes to know what the real demand was. And so this is where we're at. And this and, and I just wanted to, you know, go over this because I don't want these companies to fail. I don't want these companies to end up in these scenarios where their game's been revealed and it's and sales are not picking up. That they have to go around the shows and spend a lot of money and tour the game around the country and try to slowly build demand for a title. If you end up there, in 2019 where you need to slowly build demand you've failed already if people have to stand over your machine and flip it before putting an order in you've failed already and the reason why i say that is stern pinball is able to sell the games sight unseen they're able to sell the games with just a twitch stream they understand that enough of pinball can create sales if you just get enough of that correct and Houdini and Oktoberfest, they're the opposite of Stern's approach. You know, they're, again, imagine if Stern revealed, let's say, one of their hot titles, and then they say, you know, you can order yours tomorrow. Why do they sell 500 in one day? Why? And then Oktoberfest is revealed, and how many do you think they sold in that one day? 500? 50? Probably five, right? And that's just the problem with these new companies is I think they don't do the market research. And it, again, it's not me wanting them to fail. I just think they need to start doing more of that research. And they need to spend all of their money, 
all of their money on two things. They need to spend all their money on getting a theme people really want, and they need to spend all of their money on an art package that people will go bonkers for. Because I, I fully believe they'll figure the rest of it out. I, you know, I, I think American Pinball, they've got great mechanisms. They've got all this great engineering. Uh, they, they, they've got that part down in spades. There's a lot more going on in those games than a stern game. But where are they falling down? And why aren't the sales there? And that is why. That is why. So we'll see what's going to happen. You know, what's interesting is with a brand like Deep Root, you know, how many themes are they going to have that have that kind of pull? I, I think if they think a lot of original games are going to fly off the shelves, I, I think they're wrong. I do. I don't think people want the originality as much as they want a theme they love so much. I'm going to have a new episode up this week where me and uh, someone talk all about themes and what themes we think would make awesome pinball machines. And I think you'll realize when you go down a list of themes of popular movies and TV shows, there are so many amazing themes that have never had a pinball game. Uh, And if they did have a pinball machine, I think the sales and the customers would line up. I think people would, would fight each other to get LE versions of some of these themes. And that is why... If you release these original theme games, they're just going to fail. They're going to be dead on arrival, like like the Valhalla game by Riot. Like, wh- who are you making these games for? There is absolutely zero research that shows this is what people want. And and I, w- I would extend that, too, to Spooky Pinball. The, the themes they choose have absolutely nothing to do with market research. It is all just what Chuck and Bug want to make. And that is a recipe for long-term failure. And he might be like, we sold every one. Do people really want these games? They're already trying to get out of them without even getting them yet. And the only reason he did Alice Cooper is because Rob Zombie introduced him to Alice Cooper. It's not like Chuck is going out there and spending money on the right themes. He is getting like these sweetheart deals on these themes. But now he's at the point where it, it, you know he's going to have to eventually give people a theme that's a juggernaut if he wants to keep the company going. These companies are not going to stick around forever, you know, with these half-assed themes and these half-assed designs and these half-assed approaches. It's just not going to happen. They will all fail to steal customers away from Stern if they don't give you the themes you want. All right. Let me read some emails and I got to go to work. All right. How about that? All right. I got an email from James Fogg and he said, Canada, uh, get a grip. Willy Wonka and Toy Story versus Guns N' Roses. Mate, there is no competition on theme. A new GNR machine will blow the doors off either of the other two. What fully grown man is going to walk up to Willy Wonka in, or Toy Story in a bar and tell his friends, I mean, come on, this toy theme hype is delusional. Would it make a great game? No, it's for kids, and kids don't buy $10,000 pound games. GNR will be the first smash hit for JJP. James, well, James, here's the thing. I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. I think a lot of grown men love Willy Wonka. I think a lot of grown men love Toy Story. And I think a lot of people who have pinball in their homes also have wives and have kids. And they want a game that is family-friendly too, but also classic. And I think you have to look no further than Wizard of Oz selling four to 5,000 units for Jersey Jack Pinball. Why did it sell that many, okay? That's more than Iron Maiden will probably sell. That's more than... Uh, you know, that's on par with like Metallica and probably ACDC. 
Uh, and so, look, I do think Guns N' Roses will be successful, but I am here to tell you right now, there is no way Guns N' Roses in 2019 will outsell a Willy Wonka pinball machine. It's not just because there's been a Guns N' Roses pinball machine before, but I just don't see it being as successful. They might be equally successful, but I don't think Guns N' Roses will blow either one of them away. I, here's the thing. I think they're all going to be very successful, and that's a good argument to have. I mean, how often have we said the next three Jersey Jack games are going to be home runs? Oftentimes, we're making excuses for them. I mean, he's had three pretty much disappointments in a row. Hobbit, Dialed In, and Pirates of the Caribbean were sales flops for Jersey Jack. I think all three of these are going to be sales juggernauts for him, and, and, and I hope he gets there. I hope nothing you know, stands in the way of him achieving that success. Uh, let's see. I want to thank, I have a couple more patrons or Patreon donators to the show. Thank you guys so much. I want to say thank you to Woody and thank you to Clint Warren for dedicating uh, your resources to Canada's Pinball Podcast. Again, I thank all of you guys who become Patreon donators of the show. I thank you for the support. Um, and let's go on. So let's see. I got an email from do, 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 do. All right, Michael, he said, Pirates of the Caribbean talk is killing us. Canada, I'm a big fan of the show, but I have to be honest. All of this Pirates of the Caribbean talk on almost every show has been beaten to death. Please bring us some different content. One other note, I'm in lockstep with you about pinball not being very magical these days. Creativity is nowhere to be found. We need innovation in these new games. Be creative, use magnets, ramps, use something in a different way. That's why System 11 games still stay in many collections because many of them aren't creative, not just basic fan layout. Keep up the great work, Mike P. Well, Mike, look, I agree with you. People want the magic. People want the innovation. And they know that that magic is not coming from Stern. It's it's not. It, it, magic? They make Stern makes really good games. They make really good games. Every once in a while, we'll get a game from Stern where the code is great. The code is great. But in terms of Playfield Magic and Stern Pinball, where is it? Where is it? Magic. Oh, my God. Did you see that? Did you see what the ball just did? Oh, my God. No, it's nowhere. They don't, they don't need to make magic. You don't need to conjure up magic when you can fool everybody with tricks. You see what I'm saying? Real magic uh, it, it goes beyond just being like, uh, you know, like hoodwinking people. And I think Stern has done a great job in giving you just enough to get your money out of your wallet. But you clearly out there, you pinball buyers, you don't need magic. You just want to have fun. And look, I, Stern games are fun. It, you will have fun playing pinball. And you will have a lot of fun playing Stern pinball games. And they've realized that this is enough fun to satisfy our buyers. But magic? The magical... Give me Again, tell me the magical mechanism that we've seen from a Stern game recently and email me at canadapinball at gmail.com if you if you can find it, all right? All right, what else is going on? Do, 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 uh, do magic girl, do, pirates comments, not reading pirates comments. Um, Brian Millard says, hey, Chris, saw you were traveling here for business. This is Min Min Minneapolis. If you're coming back and looking for a place to play some pins and have a few drinks, let me know. I have a JJP Pirates, but I have no clue how the fuck to play it, so I can't talk you into liking it. Got a decent-sized game room besides that. Um, pin Ghetto on Pinside if you wanted to see the collection, and the fridge is always stocked. Anyway, I just thought I'd extend my invite if you were passing through again. We have quite the pinball community here. 
All right, well, thank you so much, Brian. I will definitely take you up. He also says, take care and good luck on the Twippy. Well, thank you, Brian. If I go through Minneapolis again, I will definitely reach out. I'm trying to think if anything else is going on. All right, I got another email here about the greatest of all time. I'm not gonna read more emails about which pins are the greatest of all time. We all know that no pinball machine is the greatest of all time. The only thing within the entire pinball hobby or community that can honestly and objectively say they're the greatest of all time, and that is one thing. Canada's Pinball Podcast is the greatest pinball podcast of all time. Peace out, people. Yeah, 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 yeah.